Are you a sneakerhead? A baller? Want to know about the hottest brands you can lace up and run with? Well, get ready, because we got all the details right here. It's Kicks and Bricks, where we got game on the streets and on the court. Here's your host, Jamel Cutler. Welcome to a new edition of Kicks and Bricks. Today we have former Heisman Trophy winner and 11-year NBA vet Charlie Ward with us. Welcome, Charlie. How you doing? I'm doing just fine. How are you doing today? I'm okay. Um, can you just talk about like how you've been doing, like keeping yourself busy during these times dealing with the COVID outbreak? Well, I've been um, I'm a high school basketball coach and a husband and a father. And so between, you know, those three, I've been doing the best we can. I've kind of been, um, we've been doing some Zoom meetings with uh, our basketball team. We have a basketball challenge that we've uh, done the past four, three or four weeks, which has been great, um, keeping our guys focused. Uh, on their academics and trying to keep them focused on basketball, things we're trying to do for next year or this summer. Um, after, once we get back in the gym. Um, and then, of course, at home, just spend a lot of time with the family, whether it's with uh, schoolwork or um, care to Ed, uh, care to dogs. We kind of got it all. Have you, like, experienced anything like this in your lifetime? Uh, no. Uh, golf is a first for some things, and, uh, and this is uh, one of those. Um, uh, hopefully we don't ever have this type of shutdown again. Uh, but uh, we were making the most of it, and a lot of things have come over. Uh, establish IG Live that I normally do every Tuesday and Thursday uh, with friends, um, and so that's been you know a positive you know a chalk talk series that I've done, um, and those you know that's been really really fun to do. Um, a lot of virtual calls, family nights. Uh, just got an opportunity to play Jeopardy last <laughs> night with our family, and so. You know, there, there's been some positives that's come out of this whole shutdown. And, you know, it's definitely something that we hadn't experienced, uh, you know, as a country, um, you know, having to stay at home and those types of things. But it's a matter of perspective and how you use your time. Like, do you think live sports will ever be the same when we eventually reopen back up as a country? I'm sure it will be um, at some point in time. There, there will be some hesitancy uh, early on, um, but once you know there's a handle on the virus and you know the fear of you know getting over that whole course that 
you know, you can gather together and, you know, things will be okay. Um, I think I think once that happens, you know, you'll start to see live sports again the way it was uh, before. And it may be surprising because so many people have missed it um, that you may have people coming back sooner than, you know, normal. Um, but you're going to have those that aren't going to show up if it reopens um, and they deem for fans to be able to come and support. Um, I, I do believe you may have more people, you know, joining than than expected. All right. So Florida just recently opened up as a state and you kind of made your name at Florida State. Like, can you talk about the love that you still receive when you go back to campus? Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's all great, you know, to be able to, you know, have doors open um, from things that you've done in the past. And, you know, I'm grateful that people receive me uh, for who I am. And, um, and I think, I've always worked to, you know, have an appreciation for others and, you know, do the best that I can to help support others and uh, also, you know, try to live in humility uh, at some point, some form of fashion so that, you know, I can um, be an inspiration to someone, be able to give back because that's what God, God, someone gave back to me. I'm grateful that I have, you know, been blessed to be able to give back. So whenever going up, whenever I go on campus, you know, I'm grateful that people, you know, always remind me of the things that I, that I was able to accomplish while there. But there are a lot of other people that helped me. All right. So Tallahassee is really close to your hometown of Thomasville, Georgia. Like, did did you? Did your recruitment process and the close prox proximity of Florida and Georgia make Florida State the obvious choice for you? Uh, not really the obvious choice, but uh, they were definitely, when it came down to it, I wanted to stay a little bit closer to home so that I could, uh, so my family and friends could come and support me. And Florida State, of course, checked a lot of the boxes when it came to what I was looking for. Uh, in a school and really didn't have to go anywhere outside of that um, once that was a choice. And so I'm grateful that Coach Bowden gave me an opportunity to uh, to earn a scholarship to play football. And he eventually I got a chance to play basketball as well. And my experience at Florida State of getting a degree uh, was worth, you know, me staying close to home. Right, can you talk about, like, what was it like being a two-sport athlete, like the preparation and the stuff that you had to do to prepare for each sport? Uh, well, I was never in shape for basketball, except for my first year when I played. And I went out my, I went out the first day of basketball practice, which was my sophomore year or my second year in school. So that was really the only time that I was ever in shape to play basketball. Um, and football, you know, I was always in shape to play that. 
um, both you know weights and preparing you know in the in, in the film room um, and my first three years you know I was really on the scout team scout team quarterback and while I was waiting my climb you know I was learning a lot from the guys who were in front of me uh, Brad Johnson Casey Weldon and Peter Tom Willis you know taught me a lot about the quarterback position about competing um, and so all those things I learned while I was waiting and while I played basketball it was the same deal I got an opportunity to uh, get some live competition game like uh, competition um, while I played basketball and had some success you know, on the basketball court um, while I was you know playing football and so you know all those things prepared me um, to be able to compete at a high level uh, but it also helped me to organize my time because I was always on the go uh, the people had uh, some great people helping me to uh, help me reach my goals and so you know a lot of those things are just things that you that you can take uh, and apply it to your own life right. you and Kyla Murray are like the only two quarterbacks that come to mind when it comes to when it comes down to succeeding at multiple sports at the highest level of play possible Kyler yeah, yeah. That was Russell Wilson. He also played. All oh, right. Played um, professional baseball uh, during his time, and he's another. But we're all the same, you know, the same mm -hmm. in some form or fashion. Um, and so they uh, they were able to continue to play, uh, where they were able to you know make it work, um, just like you know I was able to make it work, um, and. And for me, basketball uh, was very similar to baseball because it takes skill um, and timing and all those things to be successful. And we probably didn't maximize our time in our second sport uh, or our skill or ability in the second sport because we didn't have time to do that and so a lot of things i'm sure they would probably say the same is you know they um they they, they needed to do to be efficient and effective um in that second sport and so you know for me i i was a team player I knew that skill development-wise, there were some things that I couldn't do, so I stayed away from those things um, and, and sorted my strengths. And I'm sure they can say the same thing for them as well in their second sport. Um, and that's normally what happens. You find your niche in the second sport, and you soar in your strengths, whatever your strengths are, and continue to progress. If you have a weakness, uh, try to work on those. But when it's all said and done, you just do the best you can and allow God's uh, ability to, you know, come out. Uh, but you do have to put some time in uh, once you get going or started. All right. How much of an impact did Deion Sanders have have on you as a two-sport athlete? Um, I wouldn't say he had a 
major impact because I wanted to uh, play two sports in college anyway. Um, now, what he did was he opened the door when it came to Coach Bowden allowing two, point, uh, two, um, two sport athletes to compete. Um, and so I'm grateful that, you know, he opened that door for me um, and some others who wanted to play, you know, multiple sports. And, you know, with him being able to handle both, um, because it's like anything else, if someone before you uh, doesn't handle it well, and then everyone gets shut down. And so I'm grateful that he was able to handle the two sport, uh, two sports well, and it opened the door for me to be able to play another sport. All right, yourself and along with guys like Warren Moon and Randall Cunningham were prime examples that black quarterbacks can play at the highest level possible. And you paved the way for future guys like Michael Vick. Um, well, I'm grateful because there were guys before me that paved the way. Um, like Doug Williams was my hero and one of the reasons why I chose to wear number 17. Um, and so, you know, it's just the way life is. You have people that paved the way for you or, you know, at least give you an opportunity. Um, you know, being a black quarterback um, was a position that was, you know, said to be, you know, it, it couldn't happen. Couldn't think fast enough. They were athletic, but they just couldn't process well. And, you know, that changed over the course of time. And it was guys know who helped change that whole thinking and mentality and, and so you know i'm grateful for you know those guys that you you mentioned um do you feel that nfl gms and coaches today that they still have a black quarterback syndrome as doug williams had um written in his book um i don't think so i think i think you see more guys getting opportunities now uh, but the changes really come in the youth leagues um, or, you know, before college. Because now more kids are getting uh, the coaching um, and teaching. And so they're learning the skills early, uh, the footwork and pocket presence and using their ability, you know, film watching. They're getting all these things now at the youth level. And so that helps curve that notion that they can't you know think properly and you know or, you know quickly and those types of things dissect defense and, and i think that's uh you know now becoming a a thing of the past um because of just the training that that quarterbacks are receiving uh, earlier um and you know i'm sure there's still some of those uh, out there biases uh, but I think it's, it's it's still the case with you know head coaches um, in the NFL, you know, even GMs. You know, it's just that's just the way things are. Um, and you know, as long as we we made some progress, of course we can make more. But I think we've made a significant progress from at least the time that I was coming through uh, to where guys are getting legitimate opportunities to you know, even get drafted in the first round, even the first pick, uh, which was unheard of during my time.
All right, so, like, in your eyes, what is the main differences in playing point guard and playing quarterback? Because they're pretty much the same position from a leadership standpoint in each sport, basketball and football. Um, uh, yes, they're very similar in a lot of ways. You know, managing a team, uh, knowing strengths of your guys that you're playing with, uh, being a coach on the floor. Um, having to think the game through, uh, skill set wise, they're pretty much the same. You know, passing, uh, making decisions, um, and so you know those things did uh, transfer over from one sport to the other, um, and you know it was an easy transition. All right, so like during the year that you won the Heisman, you almost led the basketball team to the Final Four. And you led the football team to their first ever national championship over Nebraska. Can you like take us back to like that time in your life, being on top of the college sports world, and being the talk of the town? Um. Well, I, to be honest, I really didn't want to be the talk of the town, uh, but it was just the positioning uh, that made it happen. Um, and also our team was very good, uh, both teams, basketball and football. We had great success. And so, um, you know, it just came with the territory, uh, just rolled with the punches. But, you know, I was grateful that I, I was able to be on uh, be on a team or have an in, impact on, on the teams that I was competing, uh, that I was on. And, you know, that's just part of being on a team, you know, a successful team. You get noticed, and not just myself, but, you know, teammates get noticed. And if you're the quarterback or the point guard of these teams, you get more recognition um, when you are when you have success. And so, you know, that's just, you know, this goes with the territory. Uh, but definitely grateful, you know, that it opened up doors for me uh, long term relationships as well um, and so you know even though I don't like it in, in a lot of ways uh, being a talk of the town even if it's positive it definitely opened up doors for me to be able to um, have a platform um, and I'm grateful for that alright I've been around one of your college teammates Sam Cassell a lot as a journalist covering the NBA and as an assistant coach, like he's always talking, and that's, and that was part of his game as a player. Like, how bad did he trash talk you during practices? Um, was well, like you say, Sam is a uh, talker, and that hadn't changed. <laughs> he's probably still talking right now. Yeah, that hadn't <laughs> changed. So, I, uh, I mean. If he did say something, you know, it was just competitive uh, fervor um, that he was, you know, jabbing at me. But he always joked, joked right. joking. He was always joking with me about something, uh, which, you know, that's Sam. And you just have to know where he's coming from. And, and it's all in love and those types of things. So you know, I played with him and I've heard him talk trash talk trash to people on the floor um you know opponents on the floor and that's just who he is 
and you support him. And but he's a very good basketball player, so I'm grateful that he's on my team. All right. So when you got drafted to the NBA, like you came right in the midst of Jordan's um, his first comeback in '95. Like, what was it like being in the NBA during that time with Jordan um, coming back? Um, I mean, we were hoping he. I was hoping he would stay retired. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, you and me both. Good. You know, it just continued to bring back that competitive fire. Um, you know, to see one of the greats come back, and you know, he compete competed at a high level. And and so, you know, when you're playing against him, you know, something you can always say and tell your kids, which I have. And they get an opportunity to see you playing against one of the best, um, and so you know it's it's all it's all great. And I was fortunate to be able to play against, play with some great great players, play against some great players, and um, you know with him back in '95 coming back, um, wasn't expecting what wasn't expecting much in this in the way of uh, him dominating like he he did. Um, but that's the reason why he's one of the best, you know, of all time, because he had that mentality. The first year he came back, you know, half of the came back at the end of the year, uh, didn't have the success. But the next year, I mean, they were running off 72 wins or something and had a very good team, um, which, you know, he was he was great, but they had a very good team as well. So. That played a big part. All right. And what was it like playing for the 90s Knicks? I mean, like that era of Knicks basketball was so loved. It's still talked about in the city t um, till this day. Um, I mean, it was it was a great era, great time to, to build a, a Knickerbocker. And it was something that um, I didn't expect. You know, coming out of coming out of college, I didn't know that I would be a New York Nick um, player, and but I was grateful that I had opportunity to be there with some great coaching, Pat Riley. You know, my my rookie year, uh, then I had a little bit of Don Nelson, which was you know interesting, but I learned a lot, um, and I had Coach Jeff Van Gundy. Coach Don Chaney uh, while I was there. And so those years that we were, you know, having a great run, you know, our mentality uh, was centered around defense and, you know, offensively we were going to grind it out. Um, but, you know, just the coaching mentality is what was able, what we were able to get over, uh, help us get over the top. And we had some very good players as well. You know, it doesn't hurt to have, you know, Larry Johnson, Allen Houston, John Starks, uh, Patrick Ewing, um, Latrell Sprewell, you know, come through um, those years. And, you know, we had a lot of mix, had some mixtures of those guys at some point in time. But um, I just think, you know, when it's all said and done, we, you know, we, we found a way to, to maximize our time together. Everyone played their role. And, you know, we were able to get some, grind out some wins. 
Um, and that's what winning clubs do. And I'm sure hopefully one of these days the Knicks can get back to, you know, at least uh, making the playoffs and finding their way to get to the top of the Eastern Conference. Uh, how long that's going to take, I don't know. But I think, you know, stability does play a big part. And we've had some a lot of instability late. But I know during my tenure with the Knicks, um, the stability was was key. Um, and that was one of the reasons why we were able to have a good run because from the president down to the head coach, they were all pretty much on the same page. Um, and then once we started changing, uh, you know, changing the management um, then you know coach left and then we ended up with different management group and then that's when things started to you know go downhill in a sense and so it's you know that's just life in general but I was grateful that I was able to be there for almost uh, nine and a half years which is unheard of for a guy who played football in college most times Hey, recently, Charles Oakley, he had some bad remarks to say about Patrick Ewing. Is it hard seeing, like, two guys that been in the trenches together all those years, like, have a fractured relationship like they have right now? Um, well, I'm not sure what you're referring to, um, but, I mean, there are a lot of guys. I mean, you, you look at, you know, from what I hear, you know, uh, Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan. You know, those things happen and people are, you know, that's the way they they are. And those things for them happen. Now, my advice is, you know, if that's still an issue, then maybe, you know, there needs to be some forgiveness somewhere along the way. And life is too short to be holding on to grudges and those types of things. And so... You know, those two guys had a lot of time in the trenches, and that's not going to go away. And whatever beef people have with one another that happened, you know, 20-plus years ago, and it's still happening today, if that is the issue of the case, then, you know, I think there has to be some forgiveness. Um, and that's just, you know, my take on just life in general. Um we need to forgive situations, forgive people, uh, so that we can move on in life. And um, so hopefully, whatever that issue is, they can get it worked out um, and kind of move on. All right, so like in addition to playing like all those great Bulls team back in the 90s, the rivalry with the Heat was probably like the most intense because the teams were basically mirrored images of each other. And when Pat Riley left the Knicks for the Heat, I think that kind of took the rivalry from a light summer to an inferno, basically. Uh, yes. I mean, we were definitely two teams that were alike in a lot of ways. And so you're going to have the type of uh, series and games that we had because two teams were alike. And it's just like any marriage uh, when you have two people that marry the same person, most times they're going to end up in some form of divorce because 
You have to have, you know, opposites attract, they say. And most times if you have two fiery people, then you're really not going to get along. And that's kind of where we were uh, from a basketball standpoint. Coach Riley and uh, Coach Van Gundy, mirror images of one another. We ran the same plays, um, pretty much had similar twists or counters. Um, and, you know, those are just things that we knew. We knew what was going to happen, and we were both going to be defensively minded. Um, we were going to play hard, and that's the reason why we had so many altercations. But, you know, back during that time, there were plenty of altercations. And that happened, you know, before us. And even during our time, we were kind of the ones who started, you know, the rules, the different rules that they have in place today um, about not leaving a bench um, and those types of things. So, but the Miami Heat and the New York Knicks rivalries during that time definitely were uh, very competitive. I'll just say that. <laughs> All right. And one of the most memorable altercations that I think was when you um, took down P.J. Brown in the 97 playoffs. And I think if, if those suspensions weren't handed down, I think um, that you guys being the Knicks probably wouldn't be in the heat that year in 97. Uh, well, we did, from from my recollection, uh, we did win three out of four uh, series from the heat. And, you know, that one, we did have the suspensions due to the altercation that I had with PJ. And just to go to show that, you know, during that time, you know, we were in the midst of a heated series and um, whether who was right or who was wrong, it really doesn't matter. We both, you know, were in the wrong because we got, you know, thrown out. And there were some other guys who got suspended, you know, one game um, for the for the actions. Uh, but to this day, PJ and I, if I pick up the phone and give him a call, he answer and we can sit and talk about what we have going on. And he's also supported um, you know, some of my football programs um, over the years. And, you know, that's just another example of, you know, two guys just understanding, you know, the heat of the moment, competitive spirit, and, you know, things were left on the court and they weren't taken off the court. And I do believe both of us have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so that plays a big part as well. And, you know, just the perspective and attitude of forgiveness and moving on. And and so those are the things that, you know, you look back, yes, it was a scar, but it was just what it is, a teachable moment. Another teachable moment um, was the fight between LJ and Alonzo. And that teachable moment, was handed down to Jeff Van Gundy. Like, what in the world was he th was he thinking? Uh, well, <laughs> the reason why I like playing for Coach Van Gundy was just for that that, and it showed why you know the players enjoyed playing for him because he was going to be there for us. Um, of course, you know it was a another scar. Uh, for him, uh, and but it just showed his competitive spirit, 
Um, and that is the type of coach you really want you want to play for. Um, and I think that's the reason why we were successful, because that's what he brought to the table. Um, and so, as I said, you know, we had these altercations quite a bit of time. And but to see your coach out there you know, fighting and clawing and scratching and you know, doing all the things uh, that he ended up doing, you know, hanging on the leg of a big, big seven footer, you know, that's just the type of mentality he had. And he gave us that whole, gave us that mentality as well. Um, and so I can appreciate a coach that, that would do that. The 99 Knicks team was like one of my personal favorite. Even though you guys traded Starks and Oakley to bring in the younger guys like Sprewell and Marcus Camby, like I really thought you guys were about to win a title. And in my opinion, it was like one of the last great Nick teams that the team has fielded over the last 20 plus years. Uh, yes, that team was a lockout year, and uh, we were working to uh, we were working to try to get the chemistry and everything you know lined up. And it took us some time. It took us some time to uh, to get there, but we did have talent. And those guys, you know, once we were able to get, you know, Coach Van Gundy's style in, you know, implemented into uh, what we wanted to do, and with the new newcomers, um, we were able to, you know, make a run for it. And it's no different than any other team. When they find their chemistry and they make a run, whether it's to the Super Bowl, we've seen Super Bowl teams win Super Bowls, um, being like the fifth or sixth seed, um, and they just caught fire and they won three three games in a row. Um, and we were kind of in the same boat. We were the eighth seed, um, just trying to find our stride. And we once we I think we ended the season winning five out of six, or we went on a streak winning six games in a row or something like that, heading into the playoffs. And that momentum gave us um, a shot in the arm to be able to continue to you know, push forward to all the way to the uh, finals. Um, but we, were, we we leapt into the finals and we played against a very good San Antonio team that was deep, and we weren't able to uh, overcome that. Um, what do you think about the current crop of Knicks players? I think, like, two special players that they have is Mitchell Robinson. I think he can be a, a defensive player of the year. And R.J. Barrett, I think he can be, like, one of their best perimeter wing players if they develop him and bring him along the right way. Uh, well, uh, I'm not sure what develop him and bring him along the right way uh, looks like or is. Um, but I know where he is. He's a young player, and he's having to play a lot. And so that development may be different than another guy who's going to a playoff contending team who may not be dependent upon uh, as heavily. And, you know, they have some other guys. Kevin Knox, of course, his dad played with me um, and in college. And, you know, they have some young players. And the, the, the toughest thing is right now is they've been in a a long drought when it comes to trying to get their proper stability in place and from the top. 
and they've had multiple coaches. And I don't care what organization you are, um, you're not going to thrive, you know, having that much instability in leadership. And so hopefully we can get that part restored to where we can get some stability and leadership and and it blew it blew me away that I was like the last rookie to sign a second contract uh, there which to me is crazy because that's been 20 plus years and that's just not good I'm not sure how many rookies. I think there are more rookies, you know, on other teams. But uh, hopefully, we can we can get that part squared away uh, in management, and then the players. You know, the players that we do have, the young players that we do have. I think they have talent, but you know, you need some quality veterans if you're going to you know continue to build, because the young talent will become older. Um, at some point, but you definitely need some quality veterans there to be able to help them to understand about being a professional. And that's the one thing that I admire most about my time is I got an opportunity to sit, watch uh, quality veterans, uh, kind of go through the process, and um, and they taught me a lot. Um, I, in this day and age, um, especially I know with the Knicks, you know, you talk about the young players, um, you know, just having quality veterans uh, that you can see and, and talk to um, and see them perform and how they handle themselves off the floor. Um, I think that's, you know, very instrumental in the success of an organization. And hopefully Mitchell um, and RJ can continue to develop uh, their skills uh, to where they can, you know, hopefully become one of those uh, veteran leaders over the course of time. Uh, but never know. All right. Um, like, do you think that um, that that's the right move? Like hiring somebody that that doesn't have the experience in basketball operations? Um, it's been proven to uh, to work before. It's been proven to work before, and so um, um, I don't think it's any different. You know, there there's always been a first in some things, um, but someone's proven that model to work, and hopefully, you know, it's something that the Knicks can pick it back on or from. Um, to be able to to get it to to work in their favor, but like I've said, regardless of who's running the business, if if there's a lot of instability um, in the front office, then I don't care who's running it; it's still not going to be able okay. to work. All right. So a new feature we have on the show is we're going to take some fan questions from Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, one from each um, platform. And the first question, Terry Robinson underscore four from Instagram, he asks, um, who's one player from an opposing team that you felt could have helped put the Knicks over the hump against the Bulls in the 90s? I think we had enough 
players. Um, enough players to get us over the hump in the 90s. Um, you know, the, there aren't very many teams. I mean, you can put a super team together to try to do it, but I may not be on that team. So um, I just I think we had enough guys, uh, enough on our team to be able to do it. And, of course, we made some trades um, also um, to try to help build what we needed to get us over the hump. But it just wasn't good enough. Um, so I don't know if there's a player that could have helped us. And I'm sure there, there are probably plenty of players that could have helped us. Probably a better point guard, you know, at that time that could have helped us. But we had a team that they put together and we were competitive. We just weren't able to just win our time. John Crawford from Facebook, he asks, who's on your Mount Rushmore of black quarterbacks? Uh, well, definitely Doug Williams is on my list. Um, you have Warren Moon um, as well. I would put, you know, in this day and age, you know, Russell Wilson, maybe because he's same height as I am. But, I mean, those three for sure. All right, and the last um, social media question, PJ Andrews from Twitter, he asks, do you ever regret choosing the NBA over the NFL? Uh, no, I don't have any regrets. Um, you know, God chose and closed doors, answer, answer my prayers to be able to close and open doors. And so that was achieved, and I was blessed to have an 11-year career in the NBA. Um, so... For me, there are no regrets. Um, I'm just grateful that I had an opportunity to uh, continue to compete um, as an athlete uh, professionally, which not very many people get an opportunity to do. Um, and also, a lot of people don't get an opportunity to do it for 11 years. So, you know, I'm just grateful for that opportunity. Just like everyone else, you know, everyone after you graduate from college, um, you like to get a job. And for me, that's what I was able to obtain uh, by playing in the NBA.